Today's episode is sponsored by Coros. Coros is the leading customer engagement platform. From social media to online communities to digital customer care, Coros helps companies authentically connect with customers. Coros connects consumer insights across departments and helps companies run their businesses with their customers, anticipating their needs and accelerating sales. Coros works with over 2,000 brands, including 52 of the Interbrand 100 companies and powers over 500 million digital interactions every day. Check them out at coros.com. That's K-H-O-R-O-S.com. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton and this is a podcast about the future of marketing. Every week I have the pleasure and the privilege of interviewing our industry's leaders and this week is no different. I'm here with Amit Thard, who is Director of E-Commerce at Black & Decker in Southeast Asia. We were introduced by the team at the Future Conference, so thanks for that guys. But Amit, for those listeners who don't know who you are and what you do, can you let them know who you are and what you do? Okay, hi. Um, so, uh, well, good morning from Singapore. Uh, well, yeah, my name's Amit. I am the director of e-commerce. Uh, I've been in the e-commerce industry now for about seven, eight years. Um, I started my career in uh, traditional advertising uh, before email and smartphones existed uh, in India. Uh, well, email just started coming around, but it was, you know, uh, we couldn't send files via email at that time. It was all dial-up. Right. Uh, so uh, then I moved to the U.S. and uh, again, I was in advertising there. Um, uh, I took an interest in search engine optimization. Uh, so one day my boss calls me and, and goes, okay, you need to learn more about digital. You're Indian, you, sh- you should know the tech stuff. So, so that's how I started in digital. Um, worked my way through uh, public relations in Singapore, Weber Shanwick, uh, and I was at Philips uh, as a uh, digital marketing manager for Southeast Asia. Uh, again, one day someone calls me into a meeting and goes, look, we want to launch e-commerce and we want to sell through our website. and you're Indian, you should know how websites work. So there we go. That's how I started in e-commerce. And uh, I've been in that industry ever since. Fantastic. So we'll come back to how you do what you do. But as is customary in the podcast, we're going to get some getting to know you questions. So you've had a varied career, lots of different markets, lots of different roles, different types of businesses. But what advice would you give to a student who was trying to get into this industry? But you've got to assume that they're smart and motivated and do all the right things and can get out of bed in the morning. But what, um, to the best of the best students, what would your advice be? Oh, to- so much. Uh, well, first of all, uh, start small. Uh, it's okay to struggle at the beginning uh, and start at the agency level because that's where you get most of your exposure. I mean, when I was in agency side, I sold everything from shirts to toothbrushes to computers, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and I was doing advocacy for the good guys and the bad guys in different industries, but it makes you more well-rounded. And um, it also, uh, I mean, at, at 21, you don't know what you want to do. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do till I was 35. So the agency gives you enough uh, exposure to every aspect and at that point, you'll know what you want to do and definitely what you don't want to do. So I think that's where you should start. And so I assume that's that's what happened with you. And, and I think it's really interesting you say that 
you worked out what you didn't want to do. What can you tell me a, a story or an anecdote about one of those moments where you were like, I don't want to do this? What was one of those times? Um, yeah, so uh, I think even though I'm in the field of marketing, what I don't want to do is uh, marketing specific roles in a company if it's not tied to sales. Because here's the reality. Uh, we've gone through one recession in our lifetime and all signs are that another recession is coming. When companies go through restructures, the first thing that they cut is the marketing budget. You can't get rid of salesmen or anyone generating revenue. Uh, so unless you're an FMCG where marketing is really, really important, you're going to get cut. That's just a sad reality. And it happened to me. So I would rather use those marketing skills to be in a role where I can drive revenue for the company. Uh, so, that, so you know, marketing, yes and no. Right, that is a, a fantastic bit of advice. So, uh, and that is kind of future-proofing yourself and, and potentially other people listening to the podcast. But like, what other new belief or behaviors have changed the way that you work in the last few years? Uh, I think um, consumer behavior is changing. So people are uh, moving towards e-commerce and um, it, they're moving far more rapidly than uh, anyone expected. And uh, so we need to adjust to that very quickly. Uh, so, I mean, we've, we're seeing studies where young people are, even though they're on social media all the time, they're actually less social than ever before. And they don't want to speak to another person. They would rather be communicating digitally. So e-commerce is very um, good for them uh, to sell to that audience. And um, uh, I think that's a changing behavior. But a lot of companies are still not understanding that. And they're trying their best to make um, the traditional model work rather than helping the traditional model evolve uh, to, um, to work along with uh, social media and e-commerce to grow the business. And what they don't realize, what many people don't realize is e-commerce is not going to replace retail ever. But retail has to evolve because a lot of things that, e uh, that retail was offering before, e-commerce is offering that and much more. So for example, you're reading stories in the US where um, these big department stores are shutting down. Uh, what was the unique selling proposition of department stores? It was a, a wide variety of products at the best prices. You get that in, on Amazon right now. So you get that plus free delivery to your doorstep. So if retail doesn't uh, evolve, uh, they will not uh, survive. And I think that's, that's where we need to be as business leaders uh, to educate our own companies and do a change in mindset. And so who do you think is doing that really well, that balance of social and e-com? Uh, I think um, the IT industry is doing that really well right now. Um, so, you, I mean, my former employer, uh, Lenovo, does that well. Uh, Dell started it all. Uh, HP, Apple, I think they all do it really well. Um, but many other companies are still catching up uh, on it. Uh, I think clothing companies are now slowly moving towards that model. Uh, the non-high fashion clothing companies, your Uniqlo, H&M, uh, are doing that really well. Um, but most companies are still in that struggle. Uh, I think it's easier for companies that have their own flagship store, to uh, offline flagship store, uh, to go into e-commerce. Uh, companies which uh, who depend on distributors and external retailers are struggling because you can't set pricing 
and pricing becomes a major factor in uh, in business in e in offline and online. So, for example, I could sell a product to a distributor, uh, and I could give him a suggested retail price, but he actually gets to decide what the final price to the customer is, because they're threatened with e-commerce. They're undercutting e-commerce. Now, e-commerce can undercut them, and then we start doing a price war, and we are fighting with each other rather than fighting a competitor. Um, so that mindset has to change uh, for companies using a distributor model. But to answer your question, the companies that are doing it well, that uh, are, are the ones who are finding it easier to evolve into that business, are the ones who own their own flagship store and have more control on pricing. So I think IT industry is leading it. So I want to know a bit more about user person and how you do your role. So what what has been the um, the best investment of your time, energy or money in your career? Uh, this was back when I was in the US. I took an interest um, in uh, in social media and making money online. Um, so um, I I was looking for ways to supplement my income because I was paid shit. Uh, so um, I I found an article on Google AdWords and uh, decided okay I need to learn how to build a website and to make money off this. So I went to the Des Moines. I was in the great state of Iowa, by the way. So I went to the uh, Des Moines Area Community College, paid $300 for a course in SEO and SEM. And that's how I started in digital. And I built my first website, uh, which was about Barack Obama before he won the primary. Fantastic. So uh, uh, for, for a few weeks, I was actually ranked higher than Huffington Post for Barack Obama-related searches. <laughs> that was before, before they started you know, pumping money into the game. Uh, and I used to make uh, like a good $15, $20 a day, which at that time was all the money in the world uh, with Google AdWords. Uh, so I think that's so what got me sorry, on this. I've got to get specific on this. Right. So the, so the website was about Barack Obama. Like yes, in, and, in and it was a terrible URL. Uh, it was whois-barack-obama.com. Uh, uh, whois and it was just articles <laughs> that I wrote about Barack Obama. But what was, what, like, that he was good? Initially, it was about him being good. It was just informing people about him or what his uh, stances were on different topics. Right. And uh, after he won the election, it became an anti-Barack Obama site because there were so many people pissed at him. So I, I uh, you know, made it about how he's failing at different policies. Mm. And uh, I actually liked the guy, it, but it just had to do with search uh, uh, results and uh, a lot of anti-Barack Obama searches were there. So I just... Give the people what they were looking for. And what was the revenue model? What, uh, Google AdWords. Right. So that was it. Okay. So I didn't know anything. Sorry, I've been really thick here. So, so what, like, how... So I just put Google Ads in there. Yeah. So if people come and read an article with different... So with different keywords... Right, so ads on the site, right? Yeah, great. ads on the site. So with different keywords, it attracts more people. And um, people so pick just the ads. followed the money. You I just followed, followed the, the followed yeah. haters. I followed the search uh, trends. twenty dollars a day? Yeah, fifteen twenty dollars a day, <laughs> which was a lot of money. Fantastic. Wow. Um, and do you still have the URL? No, no, no. I let it expire. Right. <laughs> cool. But what a story. Brilliant. Um, so what is the most useful thing that you've bought for work with your own money? So not something you've expensed, but something that you've shelled out your own hard-earned cash for. Uh, there's no object. It's just uh, I've paid for courses. So I, I go online all the time, and it doesn't have to be a formal mm -hmm. university. It could just be some guy selling an ebook 
on uh, how to make money through affiliate marketing and uh, you know so i keep buying those things um normally by the time they sell the ebook the idea is already saturated but uh there's always um some good idea in there and uh it it helps us uh, on the business side so so you had your like early breakthrough doing that uh, college course and yep. and you've carried this on as a habit throughout your career isn't yeah. So what what's the most expensive course you've done online? Uh I think about 3 or 400 bucks. Uh it was the college courses I think of, uh on uh, social media marketing about I think 400 bucks that I paid. Right. And do you constantly do these or is it like once a year or when you're on holiday? Uh, around one, about once a year. Uh so so nowadays it's a little tougher uh to do because um uh of my own time constraints, but still I try to do about one course a year uh through some some place online. And uh, these days also there's a lot of free courses available. I mean, Harvard, Oxford, they all have a lot of free stuff online. So I keep going and refreshing. Uh, but it's hard to find good quality stuff. Uh, nice. Because what's happened is that anybody who opens a blog considers himself a social media expert. And anybody who knows a few technical terms, some jargon, you know. Yeah, right. Or, you know, they I mean, there's so many Instagram influencers who are really <laughs> nobody. Uh, so it's hard to... to you know, read through all of that and find the good stuff. Right. But, uh, you know, just got to keep looking. And, and have you, what, what do you think of the service that LinkedIn's offering now? Uh, which one? Well, the courses. That, that, uh, I haven't actually, education. I haven't actually done the LinkedIn courses yet. Right. So, so I don't know. And what have you got, what's on your radar? What are you kind of flirting with for this year for learning about? Um, um, right now, more on um, how AI can help with e-commerce. Uh, so I think uh, what we are seeing now is that uh, companies uh, are investing more in artificial intelligence and that will be the big thing in the next three to four years. So we need to be there. Um, so what's going to happen in Southeast Asia is uh, the e-commerce industry, it's already in a boom and it's going to grow even more. So this year, um, the e-commerce industry in Southeast Asia is estimated to be about $17 billion dollars. By uh, 2025, it's going to be worth $88 billion. That's five times growth. So if, you, if you're um, in a situation, if you're in an industry which is guaranteed growth, you've got to know that your competitors will be there uh, also. Mm. So you've got to brush up on the right technology and, and offer that before anyone else does. So you like to say, Yes to new opportunities. I think it's really inspiring the way that you constantly do these courses. And the, the first guest I've had on this podcast that's talked in that fashion, I think that, that's that's really it's quite special. But you're, you're getting ready for the AI revolution in e-com, for the market to grow by five times. You do online courses, and you're senior in your career. You must have become better at saying no to some things. So in the past five years or so, what have you become better at saying no to uh since i do e-commerce anything that doesn't generate revenue i say no to it's, it's simple um and um uh, that's internal and external so internally um you know we we get a lot of requests for different kinds of projects and i just say okay is it got to do with e-commerce no then sorry i, I i'm a far, i'm far too busy i've got bigger fish to fry externally we get approached by agencies all the time now, agencies love to come and tell me how they're going to take my brand to the next level. And I tell them, I don't care. If you want to talk to branding, talk to the marketing department. 
tell me how you will drive my sales conversion. That's it. I I sell right earlier I sold computers for a living right now I sell screwdrivers for a living. Tell me how I can sell more screwdrivers than my uh, best competitor. That's all I care about. And if it doesn't drive conversion, doesn't drive sales, I'm not interested. And you said inside and outside of work as well? Yeah, so inside it's more uh, about uh, you know marketing projects or branding projects. Again, I don't care. Uh because I'm driving money. Uh, externally, again, it's the same thing. Agencies love to come to me and give me pictures, very nice PowerPoints, by the way, uh, about uh, how I can drive uh, branding and impressions, but I don't right. care. Okay, so I, I thought when you meant externally, you meant like in your personal life that you have some... Oh, no, 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 I'm talking about agencies. It's right, okay, fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I respect that. I, I, it's, it's great that you have... a a line in the sand and you, you know don't cross this um but even within even though you said no to fancy agency techs and so on uh, there's a must be a huge amount of innovation in the e-com space how do you how do you deal with overwhelm how do you deal with the deluge of things that you have to learn and how do you make sure that you're learning the right things and you're putting your effort in the right place so at the beginning of every quarter, my old boss taught me this. Uh, at the beginning of every quarter, I list something called the critical few. So it is four or five areas that I need to work on to drive revenue for my business. And then I only entertain information or requests about those four or five areas. And the way we do it is we track everything. So I actually track all my tasks that I did last week to drive numbers how well it did, how badly it did, why it failed. Sometimes you could have a brilliant promotion and it fails because of bad marketing. So, uh, and then my plan for the next week on how I'm going to drive the numbers and we track it. So then any requests that I get have to be around that. Now with e-commerce, it changes all the time. So this quarter, it could be about pre-sales activities, go-to-market planning, portfolio planning, forecast, uh, uh, marketing plans. The next quarter, it could be about post-sales, you know, customer service, logistics, so those things keep changing and evolving. And uh, we always find the area where we are lacking uh, and that becomes part of the critical view. So then I only focus on uh, improvements and knowledge around that. Yeah, I love the idea of the critical view. Fantastic. So thanks for giving us that insight into how you do what you do. But now we're going to talk about your shiny new object, which is e-commerce logistics. Now, I think I know what that is. So but can you explain it to me and the listeners precisely what e-commerce logistics is and why you're passionate about it? Okay, so uh, when we talk about e-commerce, everyone talks about the front end and how to make uh, your store page look nice and get more traffic and conversion. But the entire backbone of an e-commerce program is this logistics. So if you deliver late um, or uh, if you don't have the products, uh, the right products at the right time, everything falls apart. And, uh, you know, you get negative reviews, return uh, objects, uh, return sales orders. Uh, That just drives a lot more paperwork, a lot lot more uh, logistics work on our side, but it also hurts our brand. And you tend to lose customers permanently. Now, when it comes to e-commerce logistics, Amazon is uh, doing better than anyone else, right? I mean, in Singapore, Amazon Prime, you could place an order and get it on your doorstep in two hours. So as companies, uh, we need to improve and uh, you know, get uh, uh, cl- as close to the bar that Amazon has set as possible. 
So it means that we've got to figure out how to deliver faster, uh, do better forecasts uh, for the right products. Um, within companies, the biggest constraints we have is uh, MOQ, minimum order quantity. So if you want a product from your factory, you've got to meet a certain order quantity, otherwise they don't ship to you. So then how do you split that within your region and you do better forecasts around that? And uh, while everyone talks about Amazon, and I really respect them, the other one is uh, Xiaomi. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, but... Uh, how do you spell that? X-A-O-M-I. Uh, so they started with the, those uh, really low-priced mobile phones in China, and now they make TVs and bicycles and all that. Uh, so these guys uh, completely redid the logistics model where they took orders before they went to manufacturing. So they have no wastage. And uh, because they have no wastage, they don't need to build into their cost um, assumptions that you will have to drive sales to clear stock. Uh, so their products are a lot cheaper. Uh, and they, they perfected the forecasting model. So if you look at the bar set by people like Xiaomi, by people like Amazon, uh, it's quite a high bar. And uh, we need to work that out uh, so that we do better delivery, uh, drop costs, uh, because it's, you know, delivering products is a very, very expensive uh, uh, proposition, uh, and drive efficiency for our business and do what's best for the customers. And so what are the tools and tactics that you're going to use to try and compete with the Amazons? So I, I get it in principle, yes, of course. Um, but what without giving too much away, and I don't, I don't mean to pry, and tell me if I am, but what what are you going to do differently that, that, that Amazon can't do? Uh, right now, we uh, there's not too much uh, that Amazon can't do. So our first objective is to do what Amazon can do <laughs> before we start thinking about what Amazon can't do. So uh, we need to figure out end-to-end, uh, -end, the, the entire floor of logistics, we need to uh, figure out how much to invest in order to replicate that model. Because the company I work for right now is built on the traditional model of retail, not for e-commerce. So we've got to see where do we invest uh, in order to become like the next Amazon uh, and replicate as much as possible uh, before we even start thinking about the next level. So investments could come in technology, in uh, headcount, uh, headcount on the floor, so at the shop level or headcount at uh, the, the corporate office, so the, the brains behind the operation, software costs, integration costs with our own SAP systems. There's so much to be done, and we are starting from zero. But uh, we've set Amazon as the, the bar, um, and once we can replicate even part of that, I think we will find out what Amazon can't do or what we can do better than them. So right now, we don't know what we don't know. So... Projecting forward uh, five years or so, where when the market's gonna uh, grow like five times, what are we gonna see differently from a user experience point of view when it comes to e-commerce logistics? So it's interesting you say in in Singapore, uh, you can get whatever you want within two hours. Two hours, yeah. You can get anywhere in Singapore in half an hour, so I'm not that impressed. But anyway, <laughs> it's a, it'd be a diff different gig. What are they do? They, do they get lost? Anyway, sorry, I'm moving on. Um, but what? How is it? How how is the the consumer experience going to change? And what I mean by that is, sorry, rambling point. But um, I used to be an innovation person, and what I've realised subsequently is the 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 end goal of all innovation is to be boring. 
So, for example, the light switch, right? The first person to turn on a light switch must have gone, wow, you know, oh my God, like I, the, now the room's full of light. But now it's the most boring thing in the world. But at one point, it was very sexy innovation. And I think in the marketing industry, we're constantly seduced by the, the, the sexy, exciting thing. Um, and right now, oh, I can press a button and a car arrives or my lunch arrives or um, my drill arrives or, or whatever it is. But what happens next? What, like, that, is, that is not the glass ceiling, I don't think. So I'm curious to know uh, what will the, uh, the e-commerce experience be like in the, in the future? Where is Amazon going? Where are you guys going? Um, it depends on the country and on the industry. So, you I mean, you brought up Singapore. Yeah, I mean, Singapore is small, so logistics are easy. But if you look at countries like Malaysia, there are parts of Malaysia where logistics are still not well developed, or Eastern Malaysia, for example. Uh, companies are trying to figure out how to get there and how to improve services. So there's a lot of basics to be actually improved in Southeast Asia before we um, get to the next level. Uh, you know, uh, some parts of uh, Indonesia has, what, 30, 40,000 islands. Uh, how do we get to all of those places? Because if I'm struggling to get there, it means my competitors are also struggling to get there. And it means that Lazada, Shopee, Q10, or whoever is also struggling to get there. So I think um, one way is offline to online and online to offline. So integration of uh, e-commerce with retail stores. So this comes back to where retail can actually evolve. So using retail stores in small uh, areas to do our deliveries. So that means that they need to have a warehouse management system tied to our system so we can pass orders to them to, in order to do deliveries. So the retailer becomes our salesperson. Or uh, offline to online. So if, I'm in a, if I have a store in a small village somewhere in Vietnam, let's say, I'm not going to carry all 1,000 Black & Decker products. I'm going to carry maybe the 20 or 30 that I know will sell fast because I've got a small population to deal with. So can I, as an e-commerce program, can we give them demo units to hold at their store and then we drive traffic to the store and say, hey, test out the demo unit. If you like it, that guy will help you order it and we will ship it directly to you. And then that guy gets a commission for every sale. So it's a retailer who's selling products without an inventory risk and he's still getting his margins. So these are all small products or projects which we can still do in order to grow the business and to grow the reach. I think awareness is there, the reach is still not there. And once that happens, we should see a, a change in mindset within the traditional people within our companies. And once you start, once money starts coming in, you'll see the innovation coming in. So right now we are not investing in Eastern Malaysia because the money is not there. But the money is there, we just haven't figured out how to mine it. Once the money comes in, you'll see the innovation coming in. Um, thank you so much. We tend to interview uh, the I don't know the less revenue focused people on this podcast, and uh, occasionally I have the the joy of uh, interviewing someone in the e-commerce field, and that was really eye-opening and brilliant. And thanks for sharing your insight and and your vision and, and your strategy, and and getting deep on uh, e-commerce logistics, which is a, a, a new one for us. So. If anyone who listens to this podcast wants to get in touch with you, how would you like them to do that? Um, LinkedIn, Amit Thard. It's uh, one of those less complicated Indian names to remember. <laughs> thank you so much. All right, thank you very much.